Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Hi, Zan. I'm back. Yeah, one week absence for me, but I am now back, back in black, back in the New York group. It's good to Hi, see you. Hi, it's, it's good to see. It's good to see you too. I'm happy to. I'm happy to be back, and I'm happy to have my full back. And uh, thank you for putting up with uh, Pat and I last week. Hopefully, we weren't. Uh, hopefully, we weren't too terrible. But hopefully, it was a nice break for you uh, outside. Outside of that, stop. Shout out to you and Pat for uh, stepping up when uh, some real life uh, bonanza started to hit me in multiple, multiple ways. Plus, plus the uh, illness on top of that. Which, if you saw the breaking news thing I did with Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler, Dana's comments uh, after UFC 297, you actually heard my voice start to fail at the end of the broadcast. <laughs> yeah, your voice was failing. You were tired and. Uh... It was definitely a long but exciting week for you because uh, is your guy Drinkus Duplessis you finally won the UFC middleweight championship, and and the, n- nonetheless, though it was definitely probably one of the most rewarding weeks of your MMA. Oh my god! I, I, and I've talked about this with others. You know, to go into the MMA media field in 2016, and you know the company that I worked for, and you know they do so they did they had the broadcasting rights to certain organizations one of them was efc africa and to see a young drickus duplicity there win two weight division titles basically pulled the conor mcgregor nine months after conor mcgregor pulled the conor mcgregor and was the double champ and then goes to ksw wins their title and now goes to the ufc is unbeaten in the octagon it is the ufc middleweight champion of the world god does this feel like the greatest full circle moment of my MMA media career, for sure, you could say that you were there from the beginning, and I think I think you were one of the one of the first things you told me when we he met is that you were is that you were super high on him and to pay attention over the next year, and then sure enough, he goes out beats Robert Whitaker, and then of course beats Sean Strickland to win the title. It's a great story. Before we get into all of the major topics that we have on this week's show, because we have a lot of them, we just wanted to remind you to make sure. To like and subscribe to the Empty the Bench Podcast Network or us all social media platforms and on YouTube and be sure to hit the notification bell. That way you get notified of everything here on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network as we are slowly but surely approaching 700 subscribers. So every single subscriber making view really helps us out. We really appreciate it. And for those of you who are who are watching us on video, be sure to check us out on the audio only platforms, Apple Podcasts. Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, if you're there, or do you win so much more? And of course, if you're listening to us on the audio-only platforms and are not uh, partaking and seeing our ugly faces, be sure to tune into the video feed and do the exact opposite. So whatever uh, whatever floats your boat, um, if whatever rides your fancy, if you will, you can do that and so much more. My name is Dan Bando. I am a staff writer over at BJPen.com, and I am also he's and the news writer never may knock out. And we actually just had a very historic milestone. We just hit 1.5 um, active users on the site, 1.5 million active users within the last week. So we're out 
It is really taking some great strides. So if you have not read MMA Knock, but part of the SI umbrella, please do so. You can follow me over on X and Instagram at Sambando99. And of course, you have Tom Albano to my left. You can find his work over at MMA News and inside an MMA. And Tom, just to clarify, you will be back with the PFL, correct? It looks like it looks like we're still in the process of finalizing, but yes, it looks like I will be returning. So, but yes, more than likely, he'll be back doing all of the live results for all of the PFL happenings as it shapes up to be the biggest year in promotional history. But Tom, since you have returned, it seems like we have a lot to get to, don't we? Oh yeah, there's a lot that we have to discuss. Before we do, though, I want to give another shout out to Wolf Spreads uh, per usual. The, for those who are still unaware, uh, Wolf Spreads. If you follow us on Football with Football Friday, you know Wolf Spreads has been with us through, uh, throughout most of the NFL season. I want to say since about week eight. Uh, but that partnership, obviously, the NFL season coming to an end. Football Friday for the season really about to wrap up. We do have the Super Bowl uh, preview live stream that's still to come, but um, the and, we, and, and we also have an NFL post-modern stream more than likely after the Super Bowl where, where we go over if our preseason predictions hit or if they did not. But but the Wall Spreads partnership, however, has expanded uh, past football Friday now to across the uh, – to across the E2B network. So we want to give a shout out to Wolf Spreads. Thank you them for, you know, being such great partners. And here's to the start of a great expanded partnership, you know, between all the M and, uh, between all the E2B network shows, including ours. Uh, but yeah, you're right, Zan. A lot that we have to get to. Uh, the big news in the combat world actually does not have to deal with something in the cage. It has to deal with something outside of the cage. Um, it doesn't necessarily even have to do with the UFC per se, but it does have to do with the parent company of the UFC. So TKO Holdings, uh, for those who don't may not remember, that is the company that merged on Wall Street following the merger of the WWE with the UFC. Uh, Vince McMahon, who served as an executive chairman, who was the executive chairman of the WWE uh, has resigned. Uh, the company, I mean, pardon me, Vince McMahon, uh, the WWE, and a former WWE talent agent in John Laurinaitis are being sued by a woman by the name of Janelle Grant. Uh, she is one of the women who uh, played a role in the. Uh, the previous Vince McMahon controversy from the June of 2022 in which you had all that hush money that was going out uh, that basically forced Vince McMahon to step away and retire uh, until six months later when he made a power play to come back into the WWE. So Vince McMahon once again is out uh, reading the story from ESPN and Mike Coppinger uh, McMahon leaves the publicly traded company following a lawsuit filed last Thursday that accuses him of sexual misconduct. In the lawsuit, Janelle Grant, who worked in WWE's legal and talent departments, alleges, uh, and I should clarify, because I know other um, other outlets have been doing it, there is a little bit of a trigger warning to this. There is a lot of uh, referencing of sexual acts and sexual crimes. So I'm going to do my best to tiptoe around, you know, the 
into the and say it up, say them in a PG kind of manner, unless there's no other way to put it. So, reading from the ESPN story from Coppinger, Janelle Grant, who worked in WWE's legal and talent departments, alleges that McMahon forced her into a sexual relationship in order for her to obtain and keep her job and passed around pornographic pictures and videos of her to other men, including other employees. Uh, Grant alleges abuse and sexual exploitation beginning in March of 2020, and the lawsuit included several text message screenshots that purported to be McMahon asking for depraved sexual acts. Vince McMahon released a statement, quote, I stand by my prior statement that Miss Grant's lawsuit is replete, replete with lies, obscene made-up instances that never occurred, and is a vindicative Vindicate, vindicative uh, distortion of the truth. I intend to vigorously defend myself against these baseless accusations. Look forward to clearing my name. However, out of respect for the WWE Universe, the extraordinary TKO business and board members and shareholders, partners and cons constituents, and all the employees and superstars who helped make WWE into the global leader it is today, I have decided to resign from my executive chairmanship and the TKO board of directors, effective immediately. Uh, as I as I made mention, uh, Vince had stepped down in 2022 as WWE CEO uh, amid an investigation into those uh, accusations that are named here in the lawsuit. Grant had signed a non-disclosure agreement in 2022 uh, when apparently Vince's wife, Linda McMahon, the former uh, the former uh, cabinet member of the Trump administration, uh, found out about the relationship. Uh, in connection with an agreement for McMahon to pay her $3 million. Uh, in the lawsuit, Grant said that McMahon paid a million dollars but stopped making payments thereafter. And so she's seeking to void the NDA. It's a 67-page lawsuit uh, with a lot of, as I said, a lot of really disgusting uh, accusations, a lot of disgusting sexual acts that are being alleged. But the other reason that uh, this story is making its rounds even into the MMA world is because a 67-page lawsuit also implicated, as one of those employees who received the images, a, quote, former UFC heavyweight champion with whom WWE was actively trying to sign to a new contract, unquote. And we all know that could only <laughs> mean one person. Unfortunately. We know who that only, is. Yeah, that can only mean one person and, um, what what is what is being alleged um to to get the so-called UFC former heavyweight champion re-signed is just nothing short of just really, really, really disappointing. And I mean I mean I mean unethical isn't even the right word to even use to describe that. It. It's just straight up just straight proven it's pettiness and it's just straight up disgusting. So Yeah, no, it's 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 a disgusting it's a disgusting act. And if all these allegations end up being true, like McMahon just, he can't come back. Now, yeah. what's being said is that McMahon probably he can't not. arguably, arguably, well, 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 you just made up a great point, but not only would he not be able to come back, his entire legacy, whatever he did for, for professional wrestling, the world of entertainment is just tarnished forever and he'll never be uh, exonerated ever, ever again. Probably not, and it's not the first time we've seen McMahon or uh, or McMahon's culture he created with WWE come under fire for disgusting actions. But the reason I was going to say he probably can't come back because I know Dave Meltzer was talking about this. He was able to pull off the power play 
at the end of 2022 into the start of 2023 because he still had board of director majority voting power. And he basically, even though the likes of Triple H and Nick Khan and even his own daughter, Stephanie, and all the rest of the board had voted against him coming back, he basically implied that the whole, all these WWE deals with the, the merger with UFC, the Netflix deal, that none of that was going to be, he was going to block all of that, basically, if right. he wasn't allowed to come back. But now, because of the how the TKO structure is, remember they got a few WWE people, a few UFC people, Ari Manuel, obviously, at the top, the head of the WMEING, which became Endeavor, which bought the UFC. Um, basically, with the power structure as it is now, they basically would have to allow Vince back in. And I don't think that's going to happen. Now, what is this going to do on the UFC side? Probably, probably, probably nothing. Um, I would say, though, uh, the UFC, the former UFC heavyweight champion who ended up becoming WWE champion, who they were trying to resign. Uh, if I don't know if we can say, but obviously other reports have been naming him because, again, it can only refer to one person. Um, but for the safety of us, I will not say his name, but I think it's, I think what the only effect here, uh, for the MMA side, Zan, is that we'll probably never see that person ever again. No, it's, it's just, as much as people were trying to hype up a potential return later this year at a certain card, that's all, that's all dead and gone and will never be discussed probably ever again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so obviously there's going to be a whole, there's rumors about, there's questions about, you know, what is Ari going to do? Uh, I know Paul Levesque, aka Triple H, is eating a lot of criticism for the comments he made um, after the Royal Rumble. I personally thought he should have had a better statement, you know, at the ready instead of taking the questions. Although I will give credit to WWE that they openly did discuss, and I, and I put down a lot of quotes because there wasn't really anything that was discussed because Triple H had said, oh, I want to focus on the positives. Um, but I don't know, Dan, if you, if this was the UFC, Zan, try to see, you know, I'm trying to get a mind read on it. If this was the UFC, they would have shut those kinds of questions down completely. Yeah, they would have, A, shut those questions down completely. They probably would have banned anyone that even remotely attempts to ask that. And uh, they probably would have kept, um, Dana out of the spotlight, and they probably would have had you know, oh, um, you know, with somebody like a Lawrence Epstein or Anik fill in for his role to answer questions strictly about the fights and the fights themselves and not anything, um, remotely outside. And that's just the way they want to do business, and we'd probably have to figure it out by other means necessary. But yeah, I think if this was an MMA related issue, I think. It would have been handled very differently, and I think that um, that Dana would have been ousted from any uh, public criticism uh, from the media. Uh, it, let me just say this: it would it would be very similar to when the New Year's Eve incident happened. I think. Uh, yeah, and I think that's why we have some questions about what Ari is really going to do, because again, Dana got really no punishment for what happened with the New Year's. Uh, domestic violence incident. Um, my other questions, and I mean, a couple of different questions, but, and I, I let me make the point. Let me just make a point here that I, I have to give the credit in the world, you know, all the credit that they did talk that the 
journalist, I think it was John Alba and a couple others, actually asked about the controversy at the press conference. Um, because, and I think this stretches over again to the MMA media sphere in that why some people don't ask about these controversies. And it's the idea of how with promotions as big as WWE and UFC are, the idea of losing access. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how WWE is privy to that. I've, I've obviously never covered a, a WWE event uh, in person nor a UFC, but understanding the way the UFC handles the media, I think they would be very, they would be very clear. Like if you if you do this, it's either a hard warning or you're going to lose your credential because you didn't follow what we told you to do, which technically isn't really allowed. Like unless um, unless PR is forcefully telling you you can't ask something, you should be allowed to ask whatever you want without any repercussions. But the way the, the way that they would handle it, I think would be a little different. So good transition because my only question here, we'll talk more on the professional wrestling end, myself and Nick Morgison this coming Thursday on ETB Sports. This is probably going to be one of, if not our lead story this week. So we'll talk about the professional wrestling end there. Um, but Zan, on that note, uh, at the UFC Vegas 85 post-fight press conference, if Dana is there, or if he's not there, then the week after, or even if it has to be the week after uh, UFC 298, whenever the next time Dana's there for a post-fight presser, do you think this needs to be asked about? Do you think he needs to make comments on this, even though the UFC end is not really involved? Yeah, someone will probably ask about it in my prediction. Is Dana is just going to say, um, I'm not involved in, in, in any of that, so I really can't speak to it. Or he'll say, like, what either what Vince has meant for his career, and it's a really sad situation, or he might refuse to answer the question and just move on and totally ignore it. It could be, I think it could be one of those three, three responses if it is asked, what do you think? I, I could see it. I could see it in any sort of way. I could see it in one of those ways that you mentioned. He's probably going to want to avoid the subject completely. Um, I think so. Uh, again, we don't know what he can and can't say, what can be can't said because of all the legal ramifications that's now going on. But again, I won't, you know, dive into the professional wrestling. And here again, Nick Morgus and I will probably have do that end of it on Thursday. Talk about the the company's response, what happens next. If TKO is going to clean more house, we'll talk about that there. Let's talk about the other big stories Dan had it that uh, happened this past week. Actually, it actually happened not only a few hours after the episode that you and Pat were hosting dropped. And that is Kayla Harrison, in a pretty shocking move, is making the jump over to the UFC. And in fact, her UFC debut is official. She will be taking on former women's bantamweight champion Holly Holm at UFC 300. So this pretty much, it seemed like, kills off any sort of idea of Kayla Harrison versus Larissa Pacheco 4. It kills off any idea of Kayla Harrison versus Chris Cyborg, unless... Cyborg resigns with the UFC, and that's if Dana White is willing to get back into, in his own words from years ago, Zan, get back into the Chris Cyborg business. Um, but it also sparks the idea of Kayla Harrison versus Holly Holm. We'll talk about a certain other name at 135 in a little bit. 
But that also brings up that point, Dan, 135. Because we've talked about the idea of if Kayla Harrison versus Chris Cyborg was ever made, about that fight potentially happening at 145 and and uh, Kayla having to cut to there. I think she has had to cut Kayla to 145 on one or two occasions. I know she had the fight in Titan FC when the PFL was not active because of the COVID pandemic. Um, but now 135 is a whole other animal. Now, granted, that th- there's no more 145 division in the UFC. And I mean, division, because the right, right. division really was there. So it makes sense. But at the same time, do you, do you think Kayla Harrison, can she make 135? Can she handle the weight cut well? And what kind of potential do you foresee for Kayla Harrison under the UFC banner? Yeah, yeah so, so um, I guess I to answer those questions first, I wanted I wanted just to ask you this: What do you think of what was later reported? I think it was a day or so later that um that the PFL could not match what the UFC was offering. Kayla Harrison, what, what what in your opinion? Do you think that means? Do you think that, in in your opinion, do you think the PFL really wanted her, or do you think that they're okay with her testing um other opportunities, considering that according to Don Davis and the PFL, as and what you and I both know, she only had one fight left on her current deal. So uh, I just wanted you to respond to that really quick, and then I'll try to answer your question. Yeah, that, the way that was worded, Zam, was weird only because. Talk about they couldn't match with the USC offering. Meanwhile, with Francis Ngannou, they offered him the bag, the planet, and the entire Milky Way. So what is it that the UFC is offering that they're not willing to match? Now, the one thing I will note, Zan, is that, and the one, and we talked about this just before it went on the air, the PFL is not going to have a women's lightweight nor a women's featherweight division. Uh, in this coming season, they're going to do the women's flyweight. But my assumption, Zan, was that Kayla Harrison and Larissa Pacheco were both going to be in the pay-per-view super fight division. I thought the idea was that basically Kayla Harrison that this year was either going to fight Chris Cyborg or was going to have a fourth showdown with her old rival in, in uh, Pacheco. So I guess it's the idea that there's new blood for her to fight instead of just, you know, instead of just Larissa Pacheco, uh, Aspen Ladd. I don't, I'd say the competition for the PFL, at least on the PFL side of things, was that Kayla Harrison was above and beyond everybody except maybe Larissa. And it's it's disappointing that we're not going to see what a Kayla Harrison competing against some of these other Bellator women who are coming over now was going to be like. But I guess they, I guess PFL thinks that they have a solid enough women's division that if Kayla leaves, it's not going to be too much of a worry. Now that does bring over another question. I mean, not another question, Sam, but it does bring up another point. Um, some controversial comments that were made by the Bellator buddies, aka Big John McCarthy and Josh Thompson, on one of the more recent episodes of their podcast, claiming that Kayla Harrison uh, was avoiding you know, the tougher fights. And to that, I say, look, obviously the P under the PFL Bellator banner, we were going to have the Larissa Pacheco fight. We were going to have the Chris Cyborg fight, maybe a couple other names in there. But, and were those tough fights? Probably. Yeah, I would say so. But 
And again, it goes back to what we were talking about before the show. Those are the only fights. I, I think right. I think those are the toughest fights, but then the drop off, like the drop off level of talent level. Like you got Chris Cyborg and, K- and Larissa Pacheco there. And in my opinion, even with the Bellator women coming over, then you have to go down. Then you have then you then you have Liam McCord and Aspen Ladd near the near near the bottom, right? I was gonna say, but Kayla Harrison just just whooped Aspen Aspen Ladd during the pay per view back in November. Right, exactly. So at this point, like it's a big drop off in terms of the talent level. Meanwhile, at least with the women's bantamweight division with the UFC, you have some decent names, but it goes back to something else and the other reason why i think kayla harris had signed with the ufc's in, and that's i think that raquel pennington mara buena silva fight and i didn't get a chance to speak my piece because obviously i wasn't there um that may have been one of the worst title fights i've ever seen in the ufc okay w- would you argue that it's worse than gdr versus Polly home i might have to say yes wow Okay. It's at least on the level. It's at least on the level. Okay, and I think what bothers me about GDR versus home was the fact that there were no point deductions in that fight when, <laughs> when GDR there, fell twice. When there, when there, when there should have been. Yeah. Right. Because I would say, as much as you know, Holly Holm has gone down in popularity, that still burns in me a little bit. Holly Holm should have been the first featherweight champ because of the illegal fouls. I know. Absolutely. Um, but again, but again, I feel like that fight with Pennington and Silva's in, I think that did more damage than we realize. I think mm-hmm. Dana saw that fight, saw the lack of names at 135 and said, all right, triple time. We need to get this deal done. Well, yeah, it's without a doubt. I think it's the biggest woman's MMA signing since he signed Cyborg for sure. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. this is big. It reinvigorates 135. It gives... 135 buzz it arguably has not had since Ronda Rousey was a part of the division. Like it, it's it's a major it's a major signing. I think one thing that that the UFC was looking for in that you know Kayla Harrison wants to be known as the greatest female combat athlete ever, and she felt that the only way she could do that before she retired was by going to the UFC and testing herself against who she feels are the best fighters in the world. So. Mm-hmm. To, to be, to be quite honest with you, if the deal was right, which apparently it seemed like it was number one and number two, if this is something that she really wanted to do, I cannot fault the UFC and her for making this decision. And yeah, I do think she can make 135 just based on the fact that Dana did say that she's done a couple of test runs and it's gone very well for her, but it's going to be the real test and it's time for the actual fight. And we're three weeks away from April 13th to see if she can actually make the weight. So the That'll be that'll interesting. I think that'll be one of the biggest underlining stories going into that UFC 300 fight week is and and will Kaylee Harrison make the weight because if she doesn't, that's already going to put a stain on a potential title shot if she happens to win. So right, and and that's the thing, Kayla Harrison, Zan. This signing, obviously, Kayla Harrison doesn't have the experience that some fighters like Holly Holm has. But it's it's number right, one. and 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 she doesn't have the same name value with some of the other opponents that Holly Holm has fought. Would you would you would you agree with that? Agreed, but I think Kayla Harrison has her own name value in that. Before right. MMA, she was a two-time Olympic judo champion. Before, right. uh, the, obviously, and then going into the PFL, she had all that hype around her, 
And then she ends up winning the two championships. She ends up being the face of the PFL for quite a time. So I feel like Kayla Harrison does have a name value to her. So that's why this is significant, even though she lacks the experience. So a fight against Holly Holm, I think is perfect in that it is a star, you know, name value versus name value kind of matchup. Um, And it does bring up the question about what Kayla Harrison's competition level can be at with a women's 135 pound weight class, especially if it turns out that this next certain person doesn't come back after all, but let's go right to it. So in the wake also of the Pennington Silva crap fest, Amanda Nunes has teased of, you know, Hey, you know, maybe I still have what it takes and maybe I can still come back. And Zan, I'm just going to say this. I never thought I would miss Amanda Nunes and her one-sided beatdowns. I, you know, I thought, yeah, you know, I thought, okay, Amanda Nunes is not in the picture. Okay, maybe we'll get some, you know, different fights. We'll see how the waters play out. If that first title fight, Zan, afterwards is a preview of what's to come, I miss Amanda Nunes and her one-sided beatdowns. Yeah, I think you can speak for for yourself and everybody who's a hardcore MMA fan. Yeah, I think we need to see Amanda Nunes in the picture somehow. And I think, you know, it looked like for a bit when Kayla Harrison lost to Larissa Pacheco a couple years ago that a potential super fight between between she and them and it was was not gonna it was not gonna happen. And oh it now it certainly looks like it's it's back on if Kayla Harrison can win. And I just think that Amanda Nunes coming back would would spark a fire under 135. Maybe he hasn't been seen in eight to ten years, and I, I think it would just bring a, a buzz back to to uh, to mainstream women's MMA, if you want to call it that, that we have not seen in several years. And I think that she needs to really think about this strategically and from a business perspective, because I would argue if she's offered the right amount of money, if she's offered you know, a value that she feels satisfied with and the UFC feels satisfied with, I think they can, I think they can get something done for sure. Maybe not UFC 300, but definitely something where the winner of Harrison home is in play to fight him. And then it's either later this year on a major card, like MSG or Vegas or something like that. All right. I'm glad you brought up the, you know, what a potential return bout for her could be. And you're connecting it with the Kayla Harrison Holly home fight because here's what I was going to say. I was going to say, well, Juliana Pena, it's believed, is going to be in line now for Raquel Pennington after her win. But wait, there's one, there's one part that I left out because I and and I left it out on purpose because I was waiting for you to say that. I think that the winner of Harrison home not only fights Amanda Nunes, but it's Nunes versus the winner for the interim UFC. He banned him. A title, and then they would, and then they would unify, unify the belts for potentially Raquel. Are you saying, wait, Zan, wait, Zan, are you saying they're going to do an interim belt just to do an interim belt? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They would. And and they're going to do Raquel Pennington versus Juliana Pena on the other side, and then the winners are going to fight each other. It's going to be, it's going to be great. <laughs> Hello, UFC 100 heavyweight title picture again. That tournament with Lesnar and Couture and Noguera and Mir. 
And it's going to be that all over again now, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, because of course it is. <laughs> why did it? Why did the Silva Pennington fight have to suck so bad? Maybe it did suck on purpose because we're talking about topics like this. I don't. I don't know. Are, wait, are you are you making an accusation that the UFC is scripted? <laughs> I mean, we have all the talk about the NFL being scripted. <laughs> we just talked about the WWE. That's scripted. I don't know. I I don't know. There were there were some things about that fight genuinely that I was very disappointed about. Where I was like, yeah, that's not the Raquel Pennington that I know for sure. Like I was very I was very confused. <laughs> yeah, the, the, it, the, it was the, disappointing. That, that fight was definitely interesting for all of the wrong reasons. <laughs> it, it's funny, like. We were only two shows in, and I, I we're only two. We were only two shows into the uh, calendar year for the UFC, and we already have a worst fight of the year nominee. Unbelievable! But but you know what? I think it was twenty twenty one. I had made some sort of tweet. It was like the first UFC card of the year, and I had said only two fights in, and we already have a worst fight of the year. That's that's, the year. that's crazy. I got to I got to do some research here for a second because. Oh, that's right. It was the Holloway, uh, the Holloway Calvin Cater fight. Uh, not that fight per se, but the card. That yeah, because I, I I was gonna say Holloway versus uh, Cater was a banger. What are you? Oh, <laughs> oh, hold on, Vanessa Melo versus Sarah Morris. Oh, I remember, I remember that. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was sad to say the least. Wait, wasn't that the fight? Wait, wasn't that the fight where both of them got cut after that performance? Yeah, yes, yes, both of them got cut. Yeah. Oh my god. And then, and definitely that fight, definitely that fight uh, between Pennington and Silva, where you know goes right along the lines of the same picture. Not saying that both of them are going to get cut, but that it was just that bad of a fight. For sure. All right. Uh, we actually have a little clip for this next one. So Zan. After all the controversy now, because we had another controversy uh, back at USC 297 in regards to the rules regarding what a downed opponent is. So, Zan, this is another. This was another case of the unified rules not being unified, in which if you go to one state, the rule was both palms have to be down on the ground, and in another state, it was. Just one palm had to be down on the ground to indicate a fighter. I mean, to indicate a down fighter. And we saw a controversy in which there was... Actually, I should clarify also. There there are there were also all these rules about, you know, what happens if somebody is constantly, you know, putting their hands down on the mat or the idea of controlling somebody where you put them back up and back down and back up and back down. Right, right. Uh... But there was a fight at UFC 297 where that kind of came into play, the idea of the downed opponent. And so now Andy Foster of the California State Athletic Commission is basically saying that, well, it's up to them now to make the changes. And so they said that it seems like they are going to make those kinds of changes. Actually, let me bring a tab in here real quick because I have courtesy of once again, Jedi Goodman, some comments right before uh, we came on the air, Zan. Andy Foster talking to Ariel Hawani on the uh, on the MMA Hour. Uh, yeah, Ariel, I mean, 
look, uh, we've been, we're going to get rid of the hand. We're going to, that's my proposal. We're going to get rid of it. If you want to be down, you need to put something else down. Knee, back, anything. Anything other than you can't be standing up, putting your hand on the ground. It's caused too much confusion. A rule that we put in for safety has, in fact, created an unsafe environment, and it's created an untenable environment for referees to regulate this. They all view it differently. Herb likes weight-bearing. Others do different things. Different commissions look at it different ways. You can't have unified rules where the rules aren't unified. Hmm. And we've, we've got to get rid of this. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a situation that we, the regulators, have created. With our creation, it hasn't worked, and we need to fix it. This is why I feel that Andy Foster should be the should be the master representative regulator because not only did he break that down in Heyman's terms for someone who maybe never heard of the rule, but he actually encapsulated it in a way where um, if you didn't see the fighter, if you didn't understand, in the rule, it makes all the sense in the world as he's explaining it. And I think there's more MMA education on why these rules are so important and why they affect the sport either positively or negatively is when we go into um, impact the next generation in a positive way. So kudos to Andy Foster for addressing that because not only does he realize it's a problem, not only does he realize it's a problem with the fighters, but it also confuses the fans because if you think about it, you know, but the Toronto, Ontario Athletic Commission was using was using the older set of unified rules, which is why that stoppage occurred. And if we were in a different territory of the world, that Arnold Allen Muffs or Evil Love fight and use without any issues, and it probably ends up being a closer fight than what the judges heard uh, it as. And that's just something that I think, you know, in 2024 needs to be addressed. It's just more um, universal education where everything is the same and where everyone's being accounted for and that's pretty much it yeah i mean zen he said the term and he said the term that i basically i said and i've been saying that even though they're called the unified rules of mma the unified rules are anything but when it comes to think about this goes back to when the abc changed some of those rules in 2016 and some states allowed it some states didn't it's the idea of the down fighter, the idea of the clavicle, the idea of the extended fingers, instant replay, uh, all these different things. And, you you know, you go to one state, the rule set's one thing. You go to another sta- state, it's another thing. Even to the point of the scoring system, where at one point, Sam, it was like, you know how uh, these days we have, it's like aggressive striking and grappling, aggression, octagon control in that order. In yeah. some states, it wasn't even in that order. It was just those four for a time. So it, yeah, it's it, very, it's very weird. Yeah, it's because because then it all it also impacts new fans of the sport of MMA because if they watch a pay per view in one state and those four that you just said are listed in that order, and then the next state it isn't, then they don't know what to believe when a call is considered controversial. When Technically, in another state, it's just it's just all it's just a normal habit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's absolute frustration to the point where you know if we need to be a unified body, if we want to expand this sport, and especially for those who you know are pushing for the idea of the Ali Act to come into MMA, we need a one 
unified rule set for the whole sport. So for Andy Foster, you know, I trust San Andy Foster to be that kind of person who can I do it. You wow. know, Big John, Big John McCarthy set the standard when he created the unified rule set in New Jersey at the start of the millennium. And now I think Andy Foster needs to bring these rules that more unified for, the, as you said, the next generation. I think so. And honestly, I don't know about you, but I think it puts a black eye on Nevada too, because Nevada used to be the gold standard for combat sports. And it's no disrespect to Andy Foster being from being from California, being a part of CSAC, if you will. But, but no, but CSAC, and CSAC is starting to become the golden standard between that, between the idea of the all the weight restrictions. No, no, I, no, no, I totally hit it. But you, you mean, you mean, you mean, you mean to tell me that Las Vegas is the fight capital? Well, you would think that Las Vegas would still be the gold standard for regulatory stuff, and it's obvious that it isn't. And no, it, it's really, between, it's really disappointing. Right between the John Jones controversy, Zen. Just remember, also, they tried to ban the likes of Wanderlei Silva and Nick Diaz for a long time, if not for life, for even the most minor of infractions. Meanwhile, I mean, at least in the case of Diaz, remember how he, for the Mary J, was going to get longer of a suspension than Anderson Silva for performance enhancers. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, that it, was it, that was messed up. They it, Nevada makes absolutely no sense, and they only do things. For their own benefit. Exactly. They don't do it for anybody else. Meanwhile, here's California, who's all about, you know, regulation, all about uniformity and fighter safeties. And let's also not forget that California very recently passed a retired fighters bill to give fighters benefits and benefits and money for a post fighting career to try and have as healthy of a life as possible. Uh, it's 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 unreal, and it definitely should make fighters uncomfortable knowing that they're not knowing that these re- these regulatory uh, bodies and officials are not at a at a uniform state compared to maybe the four major sports per se. And it's definitely something to to totally keep an eye on. And it might be one of the most uncovered stories in in MMA, and a story that is definitely worth following because as the sport continues to change, you'll want to see. More, uh, more positive steps, and at the very least, Andy Foster acknowledging it compared to some of these other commissions, you have to give them kudos. And it's gonna, gonna be interesting to see how CSAC continues to push this forward. And I'm really glad that we brought this up because I, I just feel like it's not being covered in the way that it should. Absolutely. Uh, other story coming out of this week, Zan, interesting one, and it's actually just kind of a sad one. So, John Anik was on his podcast, Kenny Florian. Basically, Zan, he was attacked on social media in the wake of UFC 297 for scoring the fight for Drickus Duplessis. And he basically called out the MMA fan base, called them toxic, even threatened that basically maybe he wouldn't be doing commentary again. Later on, comes back and apologizes for uh, his remarks. He's still going to be around. And I mean, Zan, number one, and I can't keep hearing about Strickland getting robbed, Strickland getting robbed. I mean, Zan, I feel like that second round, you could have scored either way to the point where the fight could have been deemed 48-47 in either direction. And I think it would have been the right result. I, I, would, I had basically accepted the fact, Zan, 
you know, that I, I thought Drickus at the end of those 25 minutes was going to lose. Mm-hmm. So it's I like, mean, I, I, think, I think the only thing you can say is that regardless of how you scored it, in my opinion, I think regardless of who won the fight, would you or would you not agree that Sean, Sean Strickland did enough to win at least, at least, at the very least, round five? Do you with, agree? Yes. Yes. I think he did enough to that. I, I think he did enough to earn a rematch. Now, I obviously, it doesn't seem like the UFC is going to go in that direction because, as you guys kind of talked about last week, the, the door is wide open again now for a potential Drakus Duplicy Israel Adesanya fight, which is the one that they're obviously going to chase. Right. Um, but yeah, I thought you could have, I thought as long as you scored that fight 48 47 one way, you were fine. Like, mm-hmm. if you scored at 49 46 for either guy, I would be telling you, you know, F off because that was absolutely not the case. It was a close competitive fight. And actually, Zan, and everyone's talking about, you know, oh, Drickus was so beat up. But I mean, I, Strickland had blood running down one side of his face. And mm-hmm. Zan, you actually were talking about, you know, changes to the rule sets of the unified, you know, rules. I've talked about it, Zan, how many times? What, you know, I always used to do this. At least in my heyday at Fansided, but what I always, you know, after a controversial scorecard or a close competitive fight, I would always post on Twitter. Remember, a reminder: the ten-point must system that the MMA rules borrow from boxing. I'm sorry, it, it does not fit for MMA. The no, it global, doesn't. The Pride and global rules that you see, like the scoring from Pride and One, like that, I think fits MMA a lot more than the 10 point must system does. I think so too. And I, and if I think if you took those pride rules and you applied it to the UFC 297 main event, I think you would see some very, very interesting scorecards. It was sort of holistically with a lot of different opinions. And to be quite honest with you under the global scoring system, I probably would have scored it a draw. I would not. And that's the thing. I would not have been mad if, if that fight had been scored a draw under either rule set. That fight was so back and forth, so even. Like I said, I would love to see Trickus and Strickland go at it again. It was so competitive. And I'd say, and, sure. and for certain people to say that, you know, the fight disappointed or the fight, you know, was bad considering the per- the person, you know, that they didn't want to win one. I mean, didn't win. It, it's, it's disgusting. And I mean, to connect this story, Zan, with the TKO story. yeah well obviously first of all john egg should not be getting anything no. and before no. and before we and before we went on the air we we're talking to producer pat pat actually brought something up pat tana by the way um that you know laura senko scored the fight for drinkus duplicy and where's the hate that she's getting i don't see any none none but because but because john anik is the you know, main play-by-play commentator of the UFC, and he's a dude. He's getting all the hate, and and, and it, this connects also Zan to something. I you know the, back to the TKO story and okay. about some of the controversy that's going over there about you know, uh, you know, is Paul Levesque, aka Triple H, one of the people who you know is named in this lawsuit, and should he go or not? And there, and there are several people on social media saying he is, and yada yada. Zan, I don't know if it's just me, 
like I said, uh, staying in the professional wrestling uh, circle for a little while now, considering all the news that's been going on and Royal Rumble weekend this past weekend. Right. I don't know if this is stretching over to MMA as well, or if, I mean, if I shouldn't say stretching over, but if both have the problem, the tribalism, the tribalism that like around the professional wrestling side, your team WWE or your team AAW, or in this case, your strong Strickland or your anti strong Strickland. I am getting so sick of the, or actually, and even to UFC and PFL, I, I'm getting so sick of the tribalism. It is absolutely insanity. That if you that if you have an opinion that is against somebody else, all of a sudden you're the pariah, you're Judas. Yeah, it should never be getting to the level of personal um, vendetta over sports, no matter what sport it is, because that's the world we live in. We should all be able to have the freedom of opinion, the freedom of expression, the, the freedom of speech. Whatever you think is your prerogative is is. Simply that, and anyone who anyone who disagrees with it, they have bigger emotional issues than they even realize. It's as simple. Oh, it's yeah. it's as simple as that. But I just but, think too, like on the on the whole Anik discussion, like people just need to chill. He's the a play by play commentator for a reason. He saw the fight one way. You have to remember, he's calling a live fight. He he's not going to be able to re- remember everything that happens until he. It was just a second Correct. rewatch, as as would anybody who's broadcasting anything, or for you to Correct. come out and say, for, for you to come out and say, oh, you're totally wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. No, oh, no, no, no. The guy that is 10 years of professional experience is him. You don't. Right. You, exactly. And Sam, may I, so may I, so you can't say that. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Amen. And may I also remind everybody that. You know, when a lot of people, including his fellow commentators and Joe Rogan, Dana Cormier, were writing Leon Edwards off, it was John Anik's words about that's not the cloth he's built from. And that ended up, you know, being uh, followed by the head kick knockout around the world. John Anik, right. John Anik knows what the F he's talking about. Of course. And he's a consummate professional. He was even a consummate professional in his statement. And to be honest with you, I'm just going to put it to you straight. He has absolutely nothing to apologize for. No, at all, not at all, absolutely not. And I don't blame him for being discouraged by the by the. To- He's right. It's a toxic fan base right now. I'm gonna media. I'm gonna make a bold prediction that the, that the next three pay per views are going to be he his three greatest calls of his of his broadcasting career to prove to people. Well, that he still has it for anybody for anybody who doesn't think, I don't so. even think he needs to prove it anything to anybody. And you know, I get the commentary team has been getting a lot of flack. I mean, even Dominic Cruz, I thought was a little a little unbearable during the last broadcast. But Zan, I won't mute the UFC commentary because John Anik is an incredible play-by-play man. 100 percent He's he's earned every right to be the play-by-play. I, I don't get it. I don't get it either. I I, I I hate our fan base sometimes, Zan. Oh, I do. I do too. That's why if you pay attention closely to my social media, I try to stay out of 90% of all of that. So, yeah. Same. Yeah. All yeah. right. Speaking of drama, Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler, they're just, they're just, yeah. Um, but they're yeah. not doing it in a cage. They're doing it on social media. Yeah, it seems like they can never get away from each other. It seems like they want to fight at UFC 300. Um, everyone is writing up stories about it, myself included, and it seems to be 
taking the internet by storm on Google News. So that's a that's a that's a positive. But and, uh, we still we still don't know uh, we still don't know if and when this fight is happening. All, all we know is hearsay, and really the only thing that we, we can say about it is that we won't believe it until they're sitting across from each other at a press conference, and uh, that's about that's about it. Oh no, Zen! I'm not going to believe it until they actually go into the cage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> at this point, I, I at this point I have no hope at this point until I actually see the two in the octagon because I'm just so tired. I talked about it on the breaking news stream. I'm just so tired of the damn back and forth. The I agree. He said, he said, he said, it's it's frustrating. I Why agree. can't we just get this freaking fight? Why did we do a whole season of tough that was hyped? For a whole four months before it happened, the season plays out, and then nothing. Money, 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 more money, more exposure. That's literally that's literally it, and it but ends Zan. up not working at all. But, but that was probably their thought process, though. Right, like, and oh, I get gonna... pushing, and I get there's this push for the money. Um, but San, at this point, I'll I'll ask you since. Dude, we're dude, we're almost talking about we're almost we're almost talking about oh, there's a year to the day that they originally announced they, that they were going to be coaches. They're going to be the coaches, yes. So here's my question: since you're actually here, because I made the comment on the breaking news stream. Okay, let's play a little devil's advocate because we've been waiting. You've been waiting. You're Michael Chandler. You've been waiting so so long, you're trying to work this counter fight out. Twenty months almost. Right, and then all of a sudden. Let's imagine, let's imagine it's springtime, all right? Okay. And there's still no announcement, uh, or you're getting closer to announcement. But then breaking news comes in, and it involves Islam. Uh, let's say whoever's challenging Islam next has an injury and can't compete, and you're being offered now the title shot. Do you say at this point, if the Connor fight's not final, screw Connor because I don't want to pass up a title opportunity? One thousand percent, because you've been waiting three years for another shot at the title. You should totally take it. Yeah. At this point, that's why I said, "Look, I get." Like, I kind of agree with what Pat said last week about. I don't know if Michael Shannon necessarily is going to be the opponent for Connor anymore, but not in that Connor not having interest. But if you're Michael Chandler, you you know, Connor is going to have is Connor is going to be Connor. He'll wait of long times between fights, but you're, you're Michael Chandler. You're an active UFC fighter. You yeah. gotta, you can't waste your career. You and, gotta, you know, and you don't, and you don't have the same star power and backing as your fellow opponent. You, right? You just, you just, you just don't. So if you get another shot at a guy, you know, at a at a championship or hell, if you get a shot at Gaethje in the BMF title or another shot at Poirier, I feel like he's got to take one of those fights just because we can't keep waiting. I think, so. I think so too. At this point, you know, UFC and Connor are going to do what the UFC and Connor are going to do. If the UFC doesn't want to book Connor, I don't get it, but whatever. If Connor doesn't want to fight at this point, Zan, God bless him. He's made his money. Seriously. I'm tired of waiting. Uh, <laughs> speaking of UFC 300, Jessica and versus Marina Rodriguez just got announced for the card. So. How are we this feeling? Is, this is a good fight. Don't it get is. Wrong. It, it adds to the former champs appeal. That now makes it 10 corner former UFC champions on the card. I totally get it. This fight is a good fight. But to me, given the number, given the star power of UFC 300, 
This is not the fight you add to UFC 300. This fight should be taking place on May 4th in Brazil. It should be taking place on an international destination where the fight is higher up on the card. I just don't think this is worthy of UFC 300 and doesn't doesn't capture the what's going to be, I would argue, 40% casual viewers that are going to be tuning in to see this card. They're going to be very confused with and they see these two names considering they may have never seen them before ever. So I think, Zan, that it's okay for UFC 300, but it's not good. I think, Zan, the only place that you could put this fight is the early prelims uh, alongside the Bo Nickel, uh, Cody Brundage fight, which don't get me wrong. I know Bo Nickel is, you know, being hyped as the next big thing, but he does one, he doesn't have the experience, and two, as you know, our group chat keeps talking about it's Cody Brundage. So it's not an exciting fight. So you don't think this is worthy of being on the ABC prelims? Because I would I would argue that it actually does, at least opening the ABC portion. That's maybe as like maybe as like one of the first two fights of the ABC prelims, maybe like as you said, as the opener of the ABC prelims. But like it it definitely has to be one of like the first four or five fights of the card. It can't be the second half where you want the big, big fights. Okay. Uh, now, speaking of fights, let's get into a little preview of fights, Sam. We got UFC Vegas 85, Apex time once again. Uh, yeah, yeah. so for those of you who have not been paying attention, we're doing picks a little bit differently this year. I have created the unofficial UFC picks tracker where we will be tracking every single UFC prediction that that Tom and I make in the year 2024 in in the month of January. I edged out Tom uh, 15 and 8 was a record to his record, which was 14 and 9. So it's all already a close race going into the month of February. Now we have our third UFC main event of the year. I, I am looking to go 3 and 0. Tom is looking to go something somewhat similar. I'm pretty sure we've had the same main event prediction so far for the first two cards. But we'll, what are your early impressions of UFC Vegas 85? What are your early impressions of this main event? And is this one of those cards um, that isn't getting a lot of buzz that you who think maybe will be one of the best UFC Vegas cards uh, that that we've seen that we've seen in a bit? Uh I mean, obviously, all the hype in the world is going to be. And by the way, just for just for the sake, because uh, of the since we just talked about the story. And because we we d- dive into tapology on this, Zan, and you are Mr. Tapology, Mr. Obsessive Tapology, they actually do have McGregor and Chandler listed for a UFC 302 on June 29th. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, obviously, maybe that's just a placeholder, but yeah, just to... It probably, it, but wait, I'm curious, is it listed as McGregor versus Chandler or Chandler versus McGregor? McGregor versus Chandler. Okay. Hey, because because on the UFC fight past week it was the other it was the other way around so it wasn't I wasn't sure so they're all just placeholders at this point but I mean sure. I I look at this card and it's it's okay I think there are some names on here that are worth paying attention to and you do have the return of one meatball Molly McCann on this card as well so that's true that'll get the that'll get the Patty Pimblet uh, super fans fired up that's for that's for sure oh of course. Uh, 
But you look at this fight here, Zen, and it's funny that Imavov's name comes up because the last time I was here a couple of episodes ago, Zan, we were talking about Sean Strickland's fights, uh, more recent fights. And I had said one of his more recent wins was over Imavov. And I'm like, really? That's not a strong win. Now, I believe he's ranked around number 11 in the rankings, but you got uh, you got Roman here who is coming off of a loss to Marvin Vittori back in March. He was originally trying to, he was locked up to some fights towards the end of the year with Derek Brunson and Jared Cannon year. Neither of those fights end up coming to fruition. Um, that Vittori lost, ended up snapping a four fight win streak. He fought Loriano Stropoli. He fought Kyle Dawkins, Phil Hawes, Jack Hermanson. Uh, and uh, on Imavov's side, by the way, he has the loss to Strickland. He had the no contest against Chris Curtis. They had the clash of heads, so that's what technically he's coming off of. He was originally also booked uh, Zan Imavov to take on uh, Ikram Alaskarov, one of the big names, the rookie names that came out of 2023. Unfortunately, that fight ended up not happening. Uh, his three that w- lost to Strickland, snapped his own win streak against Ian Heinish, Emmett Shabazian, Joaquin Buckley. I mean, Zan, I feel like. This is more of a case of, uh, for Roman, this is a case of, you know, needing a win to stay within the top 10 and to keep on his little path towards, you know, eventually facing off against that top level competition towards getting a title shot. Um, and I feel like obviously he was linked to a couple of big names in that division with Derek Brunson and Jared Cannon here. Um, so maybe this goes into a now a stay busy fight. And I think what happens, Dan, is Dolzies gets the Dolze, Dolze gets the win here. And I think um I think eventually the UFC, after a victory over here, tries to get the Brunson or Cannon Year uh fight with him back on. Interesting. I'm actually gonna go the other way and take Imanwolf. I just think he's fought um tougher competition overall, and I th- think he's ready for a spot. Um, like this, considering that his inactivity has hindered him over the last year and a half to two years, and I think he's ready for a fresh start in this division and beating a, a like um, do we he'd say in a main event spot? I bet it is at the UFC Apex. I just think anytime you're in a main event of any sort, and anytime you have all this immense pressure on you to perform and do well, I think he's and sometimes these guys that 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 you don't have enough credit to end up performing, and I just think his all. Overall body of work to me is a little bit better than Duite, and I actually think he edges out a decision. So I'm going to go opposite on you and say that we're going to get a we're, we're going to get an interesting main event outcome either way. I just think I just think Imamov is one of these stars where where I feel like if he can get a big win, it's going to kickstart something that that people are least expecting, and I, I think that that's what's going to happen on Saturday at the Apex. But, I like it. Yeah. And actually, yeah, I think you're going to see a very, very interesting fight in a very back and forth fight that's going to have some controversy in the middle of it with within the legal strike that changes. Oh, the no. it's, oh, it's, and there you go again, predicting controversy. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to change the complexion of the fight. The weeds, he's going to be winning the entire fight until this illegal strike happens in the middle of the third round. And then he's going to, and then he's going to lose a decision. That's, um, what, that's, that's what I, that's what I think. Uh, a note, by the way, from producer Pat, neither man has ever been knocked out. Del- Delize never been finished. Imavov only finished by sub in his first pro fight. 
that actually just, you know, I was pushing to do this in, and I think that note from Pat uh, further emphasized it. Uh, the best bet of the week on for me is that uh, Roman Dolziza and uh, Nasruddin Imavov goes the distance. I think that's your that's my best bet this week. I'm going to go a little bit more conservative and say that over two and a half rounds is the play in this fight. I I think I I think that's a yeah actually I think that's a safer bet. But I think this one I think this one manages to go to distance. I think both guys are tough enough that neither of them are gonna one's not gonna finish the other here. Uh, so just to, so, so just to clarify, you're you're. We're taking the lead say, and then I'm going. I'm going the other way on that. Okay. Yes. Okay. But we're both going okay. with the decision. It seems. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, co-main event, by the way, Renato Moicano taking on Drew Dober in a battle of lightweights. Yeah, uh, this is fight of the night written all over it. What do you What do you think? I think this is a big fight of the night written all over it as well. Obviously, you got Renato <clears throat> Renato Moicano coming off the win over Brad Riddell. Uh, he was supposed to take on Armin Sarukian last year. Uh, that never came to fruition. This is going to be uh, his first fight. That Riddell fight, I forgot, actually happened in 2022. He never fought in all of 2023, uh, So Yeah, that's wild to think about that he's been out that long. Yeah, he's won three of four. Actually, the last time he fought was UFC 281, where he, I think that was at the Garden, where he had his infamous uh, post-fight interview. That's right. Moicano wants money. Moicano wants money. And Moicano's going to get the chance to get some money here. And he's going to take on a pretty damn good talent, Drew Dover, <laughs> who's won four of his last five coming off the uh, knockout of Ricky Glenn back in October. I'm taking, uh, I, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking Dover. I, I love Moicano. I know he wants the money, but I think Dover just is more active. He's got, you know, more active. He's got the better competition. He's a proven talented lightweight. Uh, Dover's three and zero at the apex. Thank you, Pat. Yeah, I, I gotta go with Dover on this one. Yeah, it should be it should be a great fight. I'm gonna say a little bit more conservatively again. Dover with the second round TKO. What do you What do you think? Uh, I might go for a late second, early third round TKO. Okay. Uh, and then speaking of TKO, just to close out the show, Zan. Uh-huh. I mean, Munguia back in action, taking on John Ryder. And Zan, I don't want to give any disrespect to John Ryder because John Ryder has got some skill to him. But Munguia, I mean, my God, this was just, it was brutal. It was brutality in this one. Yeah, it was, it was brutal. It was a master class. And uh, for those of you who didn't know who Munguia was before Saturday night, you'd have, you definitely know who he is now he's a force at super middleweight and uh considering how well John Ryder fought in the second half against Canelo, which has felt like it was a total downturn from what we saw almost a year ago. And I think when you have power like Mangia has, you are not gonna you're not gonna have fun with anybody in there. And that was just the case of Mangia just being on a different level and seeing him be at 43 and 0 and fighting at such a level to where you know he reminds you know he rem- Reminds me of a, a faster, wider version of inflate with in 50, you know, to where it just looks like Munguia is unstoppable. And if he can get a major fight with either this year, either against uh, against the Terrence Crawford or another major name, kind of in that upper echelon, you know, between 147 all the way to about 168, I think that people are going to know who Munguia is. And could you imagine, Tom, if Munguia? 
Steel fights, you know, or maybe Mexican Independence Day weekend. They had a T-Mobile Arena right at MGM where his fan base flocks to Las Vegas. I think that he's in for a huge year, especially after a win like that. Zamangria has been, like, he's kind of, if you want to make the comparison MMA, the guy who main events fight nights and the guy who co-mains some of the bigger cards. But it's time. It's yeah, time I, to give Mungia a big fight. It's a little overdue, I'd say. I agree. I agree. I feel like he's proven his point enough that he needs to he needs to show some star power in himself. Yeah, and considering how much uh, you specifically um, crap on DAZN, it's time that they actually invest in somebody that's good, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's about time to zone. Come on. Yeah, literally. <laughs> But put the, you know, put the fire under. I mean, I can't even say the fire under him. I think Mungria <laughs> needs to put the fire under the zone. No, I know. No kidding. No kidding. All right. But we're going to put out the fire. That's going to be the end of this edition of the MMA Outsider. So once again, make sure you hit that like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get notified of everything here at the Empty the Bench uh, Podcast Network. Make sure to follow us across social media, Facebook, X, Instagram, at MMA Outsider CTB. Follow the Empty the Bench Podcast Network on Facebook. X, Instagram, and TikTok at ETB Network. To my right, as always, is Zam Bando, staff writer for DJPen.com, an MMA knockout. Uh, you can find his work there, and you can follow him across social media at ZamBando99. I'm Tom Albano. Find my work over at MMA News, Inside MMA, and I'm still in the process of finalizing, but with the PFL as we get into the expanded, uh, the expansion across the globe for the 2024 season. And you can follow me on social media at Thomas J. Albano. Big shout out, by the way, to our producer, Patrick Dana, journalist over at Combat Sports UK. Follow him on social media at Pat Dana MMA. Uh, don't forget to go to etbpodcast.com for more information about the network. Lots of some of our contributors. I think Brody had an interview, an interview with uh, Brody Cerrera, that is, interview with a racing legend. So go check that out. Make sure to subscribe, youtube.com slash GP Network. We just had 670 subscribers on the road to 700 and climbing. Uh, and if don't forget to also check us out on our audio-only platforms, uh, ACAST, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more. And then if you were, whatever platform you are listening on, make sure to check us out on the other. So if you are listening on audio, make sure to check us out on our YouTube home, youtube.com slash GP Network. And once again, shout out to Wool Spreads. Been a partner with the network through the Football Friday program. Now expanding outwards to all the different uh, shows, and you'll see more of a presence from them in the coming weeks. But that being said, that's going to do it for episode 69 of the MMA Outsiders. So for Zambando, I'm Tom Albano. We'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. Take care. Have a good one. And before we get out of here, we just wanted to remind you with about a month to go be Joe Piper and enjoy the UFC Apex card once again. And this Saturday night where you can only catch it live and exclusively on ESPN Plus beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern. Zen, next week we're going to preview the Joe Pfeiffer fight. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's exactly right. So you're a week away from really seeing the Joe Pfeiffer into just fighting against Jack Herman. But that is for next week. Thank you again for tuning in. And we will see you all very soon on the other side, courtesy of the Empty the Podcast Network. Good night, everyone. Take care, all. Thank you.